You're listening to the Arcade Worlds Podcast, where we're chatting all things gaming. to the Arcade Box podcast. Um, we're back, second episode, which is really, really exciting. There we are. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thank you for, for jumping in, and thank you to everybody that watched last week. Uh, it was a really great turnout. We're really excited about it. Um, Arcade Box podcast, every week we get together. Um, we talk about the biggest news stories of the week. We um, have chats about all kinds of nonsense, like like video game roller coasters and things like that, like we did last week. Um, <laughs> Richard, and uh, I'm joined, as I always am, by Chris Manasinger. How's it Hello. going, buddy? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm excited as well because this week it's only our second week, it and is. we have our first super special guest, which we is do really have a first special guest. Yes, he is on Skype with us. Hello. Hello, the guys. You okay? We're good. Really, really good. How's it going, David? It's very good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Oh, thank you for coming on. It's really exciting to have you. We, we've had 101 conversations like, <laughs> amongst each other, but it's the first time we've done it where we're recording it and things. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think what we are going to do, because, I mean, you're, you're a, a frequent visitor to the Arcade Vault, but people wouldn't have seen you on the other side of the bar like they would have done for ourselves. So uh, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody just a little bit to start off? Does that sound okay? Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm David. Uh, I work uh, not too far away, a stone's throw, you could say, from Arcade Vaults. I work in a board game shop. And that's the rules of play uh, in the middle of Cardiff. So uh, kind of like uh, we do have a big kind of Venn diagram where, you know, we overlap quite considerable where games and gaming, digital and analog, basically. So, yeah, we do no electronic stuff in the shop, uh, even though we get asked for Xbox 360 controllers every week. Honestly, you you wouldn't think it. We get we get phone calls for um, FIFA points for PS because my son can't log in. I get Xbox 360 controls. I, I get I get a lot. We don't do any electronic stuff. So uh, board games, board games and gaming, and you guys are uh, digital gaming. So yeah, yeah, yeah a close link there. Uh, but obviously, um, board gaming has like come to kind of like. Uh, thrive if you like in the last you know let's say 10 years now to where my video game background goes maybe back further so my modern day uh, computer gaming knowledge is nowhere near your guys level but back actually I'm looking actually more to Chris's age maybe Uh, yeah I'm I'm definitely with you there then Chris (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure how to take that. I'll take it as a... Yeah, yeah. how old do you think I am? No, no, no don't answer that, don't answer that. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's really great to have you on, because, I mean, we've we, we've been friends with you guys for such a long time, and if you know, you talk about Cardiff as a, as a city of gamers, which I think we really are, um, you guys have always been so close by. You know, it, it's, it's really great to have you on and get you involved. Um, cool. So I guess we're going to go straight into uh, our big news stories. How does that sound? Yeah, that's good. Big news stories this week. Um, the first one kind of feels like we have to address it. So 
going to the podcast last week, we were all waiting with bated breath for PlayStation 4 news. It was due for June the 4th. Um, obviously, with everything that's going on at the moment, um, a lot of kind of companies and outlets have chosen to step aside a little bit and let um, louder, more important voices um, take control of things, which is kind of, you know, it, it's good to see. Um, so it means that a lot of the news that was maybe going to be coming out this week has actually sort of taken a bit of a, a backseat. Um it's a difficult one because I'm not sure how far we should really delve into that. But uh, if you were jumping in today for news on the PlayStation 5, um, the PlayStation 5, along with a lot of other news that you would have been waiting for, has now moved. We don't know when it's going to move to. Um, things like Cyberpunk 2077 as well, another game that was we were expecting to hear from that isn't going to. And that's all just to kind of, um, I think, support online media and the online platform for that you know, Black Lives Matter movement, which is so important. So, um, so yeah, that one takes a backseat. Um, but there are some other pretty interesting news stories, um, mm. specifically around Sega. And this was a weird one that we spoke about last week with Sega, where I believe Sega said that they had something on scale with next-gen. I'm pretty sure they said it was something as big as next-gen consoles. As big as the PS5. Yeah, and and I I probably would have just left the size thing out of it completely. <laughs> I'm almost wondering whether or not they've done this just for the joke of it. Um, so... GSM Arena, and we'll put the, as we always do with news stories, all the links for these will be um, down in the comments section. Uh, but GSM Arena is where we have the source here. Um, Sega have announced a Game Gear Micro, which is a console that I genuinely, first of all, in terms of handhelds, I don't know a handheld that's bigger, short of maybe the links. And now look at the Game Gear as, I don't think there's one smaller as well. I, <laughs> I, like, this thing is tiny. Um, so essentially, micro version of the game gear that doesn't just fit in the palm of your hand like it i don't i don't think i'll be able to get my hands around it uh, did you guys see this yeah yeah, yeah. what do we think uh, well uh it's i i saw um <laughs> have you seen uh what was this you've seen spider-man where um the the last spider-man uh far from home where he has a hallucination and at one point all these little tiny hands start growing out of fingers all right. You see that? <laughs> so, what what you need is what you need is little tiny, tiny hands on the end of your fingers to be able to control the game gear. That's what you need. And I, I'm I've seen it. I've seen someone actually Photoshop that together. And that's the only way you are to play it. And I I don't see the point. I don't I don't get it. I don't want it. What is it achieving? Yeah. I I got I got three things. You know, it's price, physical size, and the games. And none of those things, well, all of those things are problems. Yeah. The, the price is silly. The games are just not good enough. You know, even splitting the Sonics, I mean, uh, they're, oh, they're, they're no way. And then the size of it, as, as Christy said, it, it's Tamagotchi size. Yeah. It's, uh, that screen, even if it's absolutely amazing, I, I'm sorry, but my, my, my 35-year-old eyes are not going to see it. I don't, yeah, I don't think anyone's can. So, I mean, the way that they split this up, um, and this is all in that article as well that you can check out. So, first of all, to give you an idea of scale, if you haven't seen a picture of it yet, it's, I think it's a 1.15 inch display. It's tiny. tiny. Um, right. There's four color, but yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay. Organized. <laughs> the display on that diagonally, right? You can buy four. Oh, diagonally. Sorry? That's diagonally. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh wow yeah 
so you can buy four of these. Um, they come in four different models. So you've got the black, blue, yellow, and red. And then you've got games like Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic Chaos, um, Silk and Tail. There's a lot of different games, but each different color variation has four different games as well. So you've got that weird collect them all type thing going on. And what they have done as well is if you buy all four as like a bundle, you get this kind of magnifying glass. You know what you used to get for the game from over the front? Oh, I forgot about the magnifying glass, yeah. <laughs> so you can actually see what you're playing. I don't think I can see the numbers on this article here, but I've heard a whole bunch of people talking about it. So you're talking about each individual color variant is priced at around about, well, just under 5,000 yen, uh, Japanese yen, which is around about $45. If you're buying all two of them, you're just shy of $200. Mm. Right? That's, that's a sweet buy. But you only, get, you only get the magnifying glass if you buy all four. Right. So if you want one of these that's actually playable, you've yeah, got to buy it. <laughs> so you can get this comical magnifying glass. Eight... I genuinely don't think they must have been laughing as they put this together. This has got to be a, a for the bounce thing, surely, right? It has to be. It has to be. That's just what. <laughs> it's, it's it's a collector's item. It's it's a collector's item because it will be rare because no one's going to buy it. <laughs> so it will be rare in that sense. What's what's the price? I for, I've forgotten what the price was on that. Forty pounds, maybe. Yeah, run about. I think just shy of 5,000 Japanese yen, so just shy of $45. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. yeah, going back to it, that's the four of them. That's a Switch Lite. If you shop around now, that's a Nintendo Switch Lite. Yeah. So if you have a Nintendo Switch Lite yet, and you want to play Sonic the Hedgehog... Oh, and Sonic the Hedgehog is on offer on the eShop, so it's four yeah. each. Like, it's insane. You can get a Nintendo Switch Lite, and you can get the Sonic the Hedgehog games. <laughs> like, it's... What they thinking? It's got it. Ha, it's you're right. It's got to be. It's got to be out marketing that it's it's a it's a collector's item, right? It's mm-hmm. it's got to be. That's the only reason this exists. It can't it can't be for play. There's no HDMI out or anything like that on there, is there? No. Oh, so I don't so, know. Got a HDMI port on. <laughs> Honestly, it's just it's just, oh, okay. Anyway, I think it's for the collectors, isn't it? Who the collectors will buy all of them because they're collectors. That's what they do. They've just they pitched it straight for the collectors on the. And the YouTube unboxing audience that's out there, yeah. I think. Well, here's the worst thing about it, right? Here is the worst thing about it. I am probably going to buy all four. <laughs> that is the worst thing about it, right? Well, because I run a, we're running the arcade vaults. The arcade vaults is a place where this is a kind. We've got a podcast. This is the worst thing about it. I don't, I don't approve of this, but you're part of the problem. I am part of the problem. Yes, you've got to be so careful now because people are going to be coming in as soon as these things launch. Be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not spending that money, but you were stupid enough to. Where are they? Let me see them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna wait for the first reviews to come in. If I'm honest, let's wait for the first reviews and see what, uh, see what it says. And those uh, reviews are in. Those reviews are in 1992 <laughs> uh, Sega Drive Genesis things magazine. You know. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's an interesting move. Like, I, I get it. You know, like, Nintendo had so much success with their, you know, like, with the, the SNES Mini and the NES Mini and stuff. Like, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I was always waiting for, like, a Game Boy Mini. But then my worry was you were going to end up with this problem. If you have a Game Boy Mini, how do you even play? I'm not going to be able to get my... I can barely get my hands around my Switch most of the time. It's going to be practical. So I get it. I do think it was a weird... Maybe we're seeing a new era of Sega where they're just... The memes. 
<laughs> Maybe that's a... well. This is the thing, right? Because that's not even the big news of the week, right? That was that's just one of their stories. That's initially. I feel like everyone thought, like, is this it? Is this all that we're getting? And that's not all that we're getting. So later on in the week, they went on to announce something called Fog Gaming. Now we've heard a lot about cloud gaming and Google Stadia and X Cloud and everything else. The idea of Fog Gaming is so if you're not too aware. And we don't see it too much here. I mean, if you go to arcades in this country that have, you know, kind of like big traditional arcade machines like we've got in our place, you know, we don't have any Sega ones, but a lot of active arcades have Sega machines in them. Um, and across Japan, that business has still been booming. It's been, re- it's been doing really well for Sega, you know, over the last kind of few years. So the idea of Fog Gaming, from what I can dissect, is they have all these new arcade machines running all this new hardware, and their idea is that, so they all go through a similar network. So it's all.net, I think, is the name of it. All these arcade machines are connected to a network. Can they start utilizing the power in those arcade machines to start setting up a, a, a cloud gaming system, essentially, or some kind of cloud-based service or support? Um, it does sound like it's come as a sort of afterthought, because obviously, with things like COVID-19, arcades are not, I mean... We know, you know, we're not open. Um, yeah. Arcade machines across Japan, you know, those just won't be getting played. They'll be sitting stagnant. Um, so it is an interesting idea. It's an interesting thought. I don't know what it looks like in practice. And it's a familiar story, I think, across cloud services across the board, right? It's, all of them sound great in theory. They're all launched to perfection. I, Chris, will bring this, Chris will bring this up later on in the conversation, so I'll bring it up now. I was a big, big advocate for Google Stadia early hey, on. Hey, I was going to say anything. I, I thought Stadia was, was going to be great. And as we know, launching a service like that is tough. Mm-hmm. What do we think, guys? I mean, Sega trying to utilize these machines sounds great. If they're sitting there, if they're doing their thing, you know, they're, they're kind of utilizing resources they have, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you think? Well, hmm. uh, from what I understand... I mean, it's. It, I mean, it goes without saying. I think the culture of arcades in Japan is very different from the culture of arcade of arcades in the West. So, um, it's a bigger part of everything that happens over there with gaming. So maybe, maybe this is a big deal, but it's only a big deal in Japan. I don't know. Taking the, te- the technology aside and whether it will actually work, I think the the idea of utilizing the arcades is probably good. I'm not sure whether. It will work, if I'm honest. You know my feelings, and I think that I think it is probably the future. But right now, oh, I don't know. And then again, I could be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I I, I think for Sega, um, I think again the culture thing that you said, uh, Chris. Uh, Japan is their target audience for that arcade scene and stuff. You know, yeah. in in Japan, people go to the arcades to become the best Street Fighter Five player in their little block and whatever. They, they go for the games, that's what pulls people in, where in this country, you go for the temping bowling and you go for the hot dogs yeah. and the pool machine that costs about £2.50 for one game for some reason. Yeah, air yeah. Hockey, air yeah, air hockey. I mean, the arcade is just a backdrop, isn't it? There may be one good game in the arcade that I, that I you know, I, I'm thinking of one in Cardiff, you know, maybe Time Crisis is there. Time yeah. Crisis. Time Crisis know. is the definition of a good arcade machine. Yeah, and, but that's about it, really, isn't it? I don't, you know, the um, the basketball hoop game and the uh, grabbing claws probably take more money than the Time Crisis machine. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's more it's more fun fairy over here than than gamey. I think I think that's probably 
why I don't think it's really for here. But I can see why Sega is so excited about it, though, from their point of view, yeah. from their industrial, you know. Cynicism was the first thing in my head. Where I was like, really? That, that, that's what they're going to be doing with all these machines? But like, the more that you read about it, so I'm looking at an article here from Ars Technica as well, and it, it sounds like there's a lot of power in those machines as well. You know, like they're not arcade machines the way that maybe we think of arcade machines. So, because I mean, that was always the argument around cloud gaming on the biggest stage, you know, was well, Microsoft have their project X Cloud, Google Stadia are there. Um, PlayStation bought a few years ago. Um, on live. Yeah, it was on live, and it's a, like oh, the other one. There was another one as well, wasn't there? The one that they bought. The name escapes me at the minute, but um, they, it seemed like really tough to launch this because the infrastructure is so hard to build. You know, you're talking about companies like Google and Microsoft. You know, Amazon's a name that's been thrown out there a few times, and even then, I don't think they have on a hardware front what it needs to do. That it seems like it's a really difficult thing to do. So from you know from a business point of view, you know it's interesting, and it's something that maybe in Japan could take off a little bit better. I know Konami still have, I mean it's one of the few things that Konami can still hang their hat on, right? It's things like the health centers that they do, and then the machine machines. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I can't imagine the hardware is the same, but if that's a lot of hardware in a small market, you know, in the grand scheme of the world, you know, Japan's a pretty small market. They can utilize those as sort of data centers and and things like that. It, it could be pretty cool. You know, they're launching their own PlayStation Now esque service. Yeah. You know, well, you know, for well, I think EA have their their EA access thing where that's only about three, four quid a month, and they give you access to games and stuff. But you download those. If Sega had something similar to that, where you can jump in, you can play all these old Sega games on yeah. a service that's and that is running off basically stagnant arcade machines somewhere. It's a good. It's a good use of the technology, in theory. It's a question. The question here is, where's the audience? Is there an audience for it, right? Because if the traditional audience are the ones that are going into the arcades to play the games in Japan, and they're going for the games, I mean, there's a lot of those games are already available on your your, your home consoles. So what's what? Yeah. What are they trying to achieve? What's the audience? What's the end goal? I, I don't. I don't get it. I don't get what the end goal is. I don't see what the product is. What the, the audience is. None of it. I could be wrong. Spare a thought as well for the for the business meeting they had where they wanted to take on cloud gaming with a concept where they 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 just think tanked it and what came out? Yeah. Fog. Fog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> gaming. That's that's well, that again is why like it's another reason that I started thinking, surely they've just lost it. Like they're just at the point. We publish games, we have fun, and the rest of it's just a bit of banter, right? Like, yeah, Fog is a practical name. I think they're genuinely taking the mick. It, and this is another thing as well. When you said earlier, like, who is the audience? I might even be like, well, what is the audience, right? Like, where is that audience? Is it even a consumer-facing thing? You know, do they turn around to companies like a PlayStation and say, well, look, if you have a game that launches and you need backup server support or something like that, if you need something to help bump the load and carry it for you, you know, maybe it's an under-the-table call. That, that is a good yeah. idea. That's a very like, good I mean, idea. But that makes a lot of sense because inevitably xCloud, PlayStation Now, um, Google Stadia down the line as well, all these services are going to launch and they're all going to hit peaks, right? Mm. Like, I know PlayStation Now, like, that took an absolutely massive, like, an astronomical spike in users as soon as Spider-Man went. Because it's Spider-Man. It doesn't matter where you put Spider-Man on, there's going to be a spike. 
And the big scary thing for a lot of companies, I think, is do you invest in all of this hardware to manage X amount of players mm. when the players might not be there in a month, two months, three months, and you're stuck with all these servers and things? If you were saying, oh, well, you've got a launch coming up, maybe you utilize this service. We work out an agreement for a couple of months, see what your player base is like, and you adjust it accordingly that way down the line. Maybe it's something like that. I don't know. But if that is the case, really weird that they make it sound like a PlayStation 5 level announcement to the world, right? Like, that's oh, yeah. weird to bring that to me. It's PlayStation 5 level in, in Japan, I guess. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Uh, anyway. I mean, it's a PlayStation 5 level announcement for them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really important. You know, to shareholders going, oh, great. We are actually utilising these resources. That's important. Hey, hey, guys, guys, wait, hold on. I've got a PlayStation Network 5 announcement for me. I had a sausage sandwich for lunch today. It was awesome. Oh, my God. Sorry, anyway, carry on. Got to... But that's, that's, that's the point, isn't it? It's, it's all relative, anyway. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, Sega, it's been a weird couple of weeks. you got to think, this time last week we were talking about the potential of a Sega Xbox Series X launching in oh. Japan. Which would have been, it would have been more interesting. It would have been way more interesting, yeah. Um, oh, that's an interesting thought, actually. Yeah, maybe because it was all that that only came off the back of something to do with Microsoft. Maybe Project X Cloud, you know, their their X Cloud service and what Microsoft are looking into. Maybe some, maybe that's where that story came out of, right? And business business wise, I'm guessing Microsoft are so much more massive than Sega. Microsoft would just engulf them, wouldn't they? Yeah. Unless Sega have got another arm I've not heard of. I can't see in the fog, I suppose, but yeah. much assets they've got. <laughs> I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit last week when we were like, oh, what could this announcement be in the idea of, I mean, for us, I think especially for us in the West where we don't see Sega game centers and stuff. Like, have you guys ever played the Yakuza games? Uh, I know of them, not played them, no. The Yakuza games, the idea of Yakuza is it's all in this little kind of square, like block square area called Camarocho, and there they have Sega game centers everywhere, like Sega specifically branded arcades and things. Like, we don't really see the brand in that light over here, so it's hard for us to see them as anything other than a publishing arm, really. Like, they, they publish games for people, which is what me and Chris were saying about last week, though, isn't it? It's like buying a publisher at that point, right? Mm -hmm. it used to, I mean, there used to be the other Nintendo. Like, in my era of loving games, Sega was the other team. It was the yeah, Microsoft, the Sony. That's what it was. It was Nintendo and Sega. And that's why we, I I think I give them more credit. I was like, they're going to make a console. Of course they will. They're Sega. Oh, but, but Sega in the last 20 years have not been that. Um, so, so, yeah, it's... How the mighty have fallen. Um, <sighs> yeah, well, I say... My takeaway from it is, if nothing, if it's that important for them, and if it keeps Sega afloat, great, right? Like, they've got a big name in gaming. Like, it's a name that matters. Yeah. Not that it used to, but it does. And it is nice, like you know, like playing the Yakuza games and almost forgetting that when you boot up that game, you get a big Sega logo across the screen. You're like, oh, that's nice. That's nice. Um, cool. And then the final story that we have for this week: Game Zone Quick. Is going online, um, which is great. It's really important. So, um, again, this ties, as everything does in our world at the minute, to the COVID-19 situation and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so Games Done Quick, their normal kind of big event, has been mm -hmm. essentially put on the shelf because of everything that's happening. Um, but they're going online completely, um, which is fantastic. Uh, anybody who hasn't come across Games Done Quick before, 
um, they sort of run lots of different events that host like things like speedrunners and stuff. Um, and if you've never watched a speedrunner, like we've all tried to speedrun a game, but if you've never watched a speedrunner, it's an entirely different way of playing video games. And it's always really cool checking out games on quick just to see what playing games like that looks like. Um, Chris, you brought this one to the table, so do you want to sort of fill in the gaps a little bit yeah, for me? Yeah, um, we, we've, uh, we've, speedrunning's been part of uh, us as an, a venue since the beginning when we've had a few uh, regulars uh, run some speedrun events. We even had uh, uh, a guy break a record for, um, uh, which was on, on the speedrunning, official speedrunning record website, uh, Mario All-Stars. Uh, oh, so, yeah. So speedrunning is really good, and uh, watching—I uh, just love watching speedruns because the the way they 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 do it, it's like you know, just it, it's it's an art form, it's a skill. People are still speedrunning games from you know that they're, they're common cartridges, and they're finding hacks and exploits to do these runs. So, so GDQ does um, two events, big events a year to raise money for charity. There's awesome games done quick, and then there's the summer games done quick. See, so we come up to the summer one now. Uh, traditionally, they get a big haul. They run it for a week. Uh, they have just back to back people running speed runs, with experts giving commentary over the top of it. Uh, I think last week they raised last year. Sorry, that last game uh, games on quick they raised something like oh, it's a ridiculous amount of money. Is it like four or five million? Maybe even more, fourteen million. I can't remember. Uh, we'll find a link and we'll put it in the comments at the end, but um, in the description at the end. But so this one, they can't do it in a big venue. They're doing it online. That is probably going to suit this event really well. I think. I think it's going to work really well because, I, I mean, you miss the audience interaction and. Uh... I think we all are a little. I think esports has felt hit as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Not just esports, right? Like, I was I was going to make a point to not bring up professional wrestling because that's all I do anywhere. But you look at all the big professional wrestling shows at the minute; they're all running without audiences, and it's mm-hmm. it's weird and haunting in places. It's really bizarre. But um, I, I think GD, uh, GDQ, like, that makes sense. You know, and it's not just you that are doing it. I mean, I know IGN have their... I never remember which way around it is. I think IGN are running their Summer Games Fest. Okay. And I think Keely is helping to kind of host and promote Summer of Gaming, I want to say. Okay. But it's all things that are kind of filling in the gaps because this would be E3, right? Like, this would be one of the... Yeah, big, yeah, yeah windows of the year for us normally where you have so much going on and and that can't happen the way that it normally does so you know it, it's, it's i think it's really good it's really good that they're not that they don't have to just stop it completely you know especially with that money going to such great places you know those people they work with really would have missed that money um which i think is what has happened for a lot of these events is normally money that they would have relied on their seasonal and they assume it's coming even I know a lot of, you know, kind of those areas of LA that rely on that big chunk of income that comes with people flooding to an area. That money's going to go missing. Um, yeah. Nice to know that they're still going to be able to support and and do it and kind of keep things flowing that way. One one thing I really appreciate with, and, and this is a, a compliment to the community as well on the whole, is you've got a lot of um, um, faces, personalities, YouTubers, and whatever who. Um, instead of fighting against the games done quick concept and making their own, let's say, they'll do their own event. But what I really like, and this is definitely for the majority of the people that I watch, is when they get their big total of money that they've had off their subscribers and people who are donating money for them to do certain games quickly, Mm -hmm. they then 
take that lump sum and give it to the official Games Done Quick guys as a massive lump sum in the end, you know? So it's amazing because that's the kind of PR that I think gaming needs in the bigger world is that they can say, look at Games Done Quick. They did this huge amount of money and all because the whole community of gaming gets together, you know, and helps one cause. So, yes, it can be a big statistic, you know, instead of just fractious little groups doing something for charity they all do one massive big pot of money you know which i think is great gdq genuinely always feels like a real community event like that everyone really chips in everyone really just goes you know what we're going to make this one awesome i guess that's what <laughs> that's one of their uh, events isn't it awesome games done quick it's just it is awesome it's great it's great to watch as well so uh, yeah watch it when it goes online yeah Magic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's all we've got really on news stories this week, right? Um, and it's nice to have been going on to kind of finish on a positive note. Uh, GDQ, like, if you've not come across them before, go and check them out. Like, it's awesome. It's something we always have on, on the kind of screens in the shop and stuff. And we've had our experience watching people play like that. So, I think it was, it was Connor, wasn't it? The, oh, yeah. Got, side, side yeah. Dad. Side Dad. You can find him on Twitter and stuff as well. Check him out because he's always doing, you know, bits and pieces. And yeah. he plays game like. I don't even know. It's like a savant. I don't understand. I can't even process what he's doing half the time. But uh, yeah. Um, cool. So that's it for news. Um, and I guess the next segment we're going to jump onto is what we're playing and our talking points for the week. Cool. So we'll start, I think, for now on what we're playing. We're going to kind of thread into... I'll, I'll finish... I'll jump into at the end what I'm playing and it kind of feeds into my topic as well so I'll hold that off for the end um because the first one we've got here which is that a talking point from yourself for the last of us two yeah yeah um uh I'm gonna put the trailer on that they just released it's the cinematic trailer now um if you don't if you want to play the last of us two just turn your eyes away right now and if you're listening to us just cover your ears uh so I'm just gonna switch to that now uh you if you're one of those jerks that's been running around dropping spoilers everywhere, oh. you go do your jerk stuff somewhere else. We don't want to know anything about this game. No. Um, so yeah, don't be that person. This is just Re- a ci- this is a cinematic trailer, and actually they're using not using a lot. It's pre-rendered, so there's not a lot of stuff on the footage. Um, you guys might not be able to see this, so uh, just listen if you can. All right. Cool. Rated M for mature. I feel. For those of you listening to us, you can view this online yourselves by searching for The Last of Us 2 Cinematic Trailer. Trailer is just awesome, I and mean, it, it it but it doesn't show a lot of actual in-game footage, which is why I'm happy to show it. Yeah. Um, so there was an interview with uh, Neil Druckmann uh, last week, I want to say. Uh, now they're doing all the hype for the launch, and uh, it was a 
I want to talk about the uh, the violence in the game and uh, and how appropriate it was and uh, whether it was necessary and that kind of thing and it was um, it was a very interesting argument really of whether because if you haven't played The Last of Us one it is actually quite a violent game you know uh, Joel is pretty much a mass murderer in that game <laughs> but you could uh, I mean you could argue the same in uh, Uncharted there was always jokes about uh, how uh, you know <laughs> I just realised something. Nathan Drake, Neil Druckmann, Naughty Dog, they've all got the same initials. Anyway, so that's a side <laughs> note, sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. It, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's weird. No. Sorry, just a side note. Revelation. And Neil Diamond as well. Neil <laughs> Diamond as well, who's obviously very tied to the last of us. So, anyway, um, uh, so there's a lot of violence in the game. The question is uh, whether, I guess, what I'm trying to decide here is. Would you put you off a game? Is there is there a, a line in a video game with the violence where you just go, you know what, that's too much. I've had enough. I can't play this anymore. I don't mm. know. Video games are about escapism, right? So they're not meant to be real to life. So I think I'll, I'll jump in on this straight away, just because. So Neil Druckmann, I, I I think is first of all incredible, right? So he's the guy that was in charge of the last of it. He's been at Naughty Dog for a really long time. He really kind of worked. I think his first one was some kind of texture artist on, might have been CTR originally. So he's been there a long time. Oh, yeah, he's worked his way right up, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, and then he also was one of the kind of, they finished The Last of Us, Uncharted 4 was in all kinds of a mess. And he was also, it was him and Bruce Straley that was brought onto Uncharted 4 to kind of rescue that. Mm-hmm. And it says a lot, I think, that Uncharted 4, I'm playing through that again at the minute, and we'll come back to that later on, but it feels a little darker and a little nastier in places and it feels like it's something that he has a bigger fingerprint on and the last of us is going to be more than that right yeah yeah and i think that's a great thing to have like if you look at people like cory Barlog from god of war and then obviously hideo kojima being your kind of auteur of auteur these guys very much they don't make your traditional video games in a lot of ways i think they very much approach it the way that like a filmmaker would approach a film or a writer would approach a book mm-hmm. and when you say that it's escapism, I think it can be, for sure. Like, video games can be whatever you want them to be, which is great. I don't think they think about it like that. I don't think they approach it like that. I replayed The Last of Us. I've just finished it last week. And I play that game every launch, sometimes a couple of times a year. I love that game. And I still win. And I still want to turn away at certain points because it's rough. And it makes you feel like you're the person who's mad, you know? I think... In terms of violence in video games, it's the same thing that's always there. There's always going to be violence in this stuff, right? Tarantino's been fighting that that thing for a long time. You don't you don't have to play those games, but those games really need it, you know. Like Uncharted, maybe you don't need to be shooting and killing people as, as much because I don't. Nobody's excited about Uncharted because of the incredible shooting mechanics, right? <laughs> like that's no, this is true. Not that- of those games so maybe they don't need to be shooting so many people but something like the last of us and the last of us 2 will no doubt kind of double down on that i think it does need that sort of visceral nasty gritty it it should want to make you turn away in places you should have to sort of flinch and cringe um think, also because yeah the the, the the subject matter they're dealing with you know i went back and i've watched um so i watched three films i watched the book of eli mad max fury road and the Road, right, with um, Viggo Watson, so based on the Colin McCarthy novel. And those three films, they're all supposed to just be horrible, nasty, gritty worlds. And The Road especially, I forgot how just 
hard that is to watch. It's a hard film to watch. So rough. It's so disgusting all the way through delivery, and it's supposed to make you feel like that. So I fall video games the same way that I do with everything. It's everything has its place. I think video games get too violent unnecessarily in places. I don't know that's something for a rating board or, or for government to get involved in. For me, it's more than anything, just a creative thing where I'm like, you could have got as much out of me without the violence, right? The violence. It's equal to a jump scare in a horror movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you can build tension properly, you don't need that, right? If you can build story properly without violence, do it. That'll engage me more. But I think The Last of Us, like, there was that trailer, I think it was a Paris Games Week one they did, especially with the the clipping of the wings and the hammer stuff. And that's probably the main thing from the last was two campaign where that reminds me of that feeling of going, I'm not switching off, but I've got to turn away. And like, well, for making me turn away, like you're getting the message across. Well, it's, like, it's, that's, that's it is, isn't it? Right. Because to make, to make a story with a good up high point, you know, you have to have a contrasting low point. Right. You know, I think if you're going to take your, your heroes on the journey, they have to have hit a low point, whether it be through violence, they've been acted or violence acted on them, or mm. that horrible tragedy, or you know, like the opening of The Last of Us, the original one, or um, oh, that, that opening sequence. Anyway, uh, if you, you take your, your characters on the journey, so you got to you got to have the the, the curves, right? The quote I think from Neil Druckmann is, "There are games that are just comfort food, and this is one of those." And I think he's talking about The Last of Us 2 in this case, in his interview. It's an interesting thing, because I'm not sure I would have used it. I get what he's saying, but, you know, you know, I don't think it's comfort food. I think it's like... It's... There are games that are just comfort food, but this is not one of those. Is that what he said? Yeah, so that's what he said. This is not one of those. So this isn't one for you to sit down and enjoy. This is not what... That makes much more sense. Yeah. I just had to... I just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I had a point that I was lining up, and then... You you said the opposite, and I thought, well, I can't say my point now. Otherwise, we're gonna have the right ding dong here. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say, as long as it's part of a creative experience. So if some somebody has dedicated themselves to make a video game, to make a film, to make a board game, whatever they want to do with a creative input, and if it's part of that person's reason to put something in because it's got creative reasons to be in there, he wants to make you feel something. Mm -hmm then it needs to be in there. The moment you start checking things in because other games do it, or that's what people do, or yeah. it's cool. I mean, those words, I remember in university, those words were banned, good and cool and, you know, things like that, because it had to have a creative reason to put something in. Yeah. So, and now, drawing back the clock, the, the game in my head was Carmageddon, um, <laughs> Yeah. which they, they changed the version on the Nintendo to have zombies instead of people that you could run over, you know? And that was cutting-edge kind of um, <laughs> PC stuff back then. But obviously these days, it's way more. I mean, look at that um, Death Stranding. Um, I call it a video game. I feel like you shouldn't call it a video game. You know, it's just... It's a film. It's beautiful. You wouldn't want to deny him anything in that doesn't matter how sick, horrible, perverted, disgusting it could be, it's not going to be any worse than any film. So as long as it's got a creative reason to be in there, mm. um, I, I think it, everything should have a, a platform. Yeah, I, th I think it's, especially with, with him, with Neil, with the team at Naughty Dog, and the team, to be fair, most of the team across, like, uh, well, it's not SEO anymore, is it? It's Sony Interactive, it, it's PlayStation Studios, I think they're all collectively known as now, right? Yeah. 
um, but like a movie studio, like all those guys. I mean, if I think back to Chris, you were talking about Days Gone last week, right? And maybe one of the biggest problems with Days Gone is the stuff that they're trying to do creatively is lost in amongst just an effort to just chuck everything out of game. That's exactly so- it, yeah. That, that, you know, talk about what you were just saying about the, the creative process. That's the problem with one of the problems with Days Gone. They did just chuck everything in the wall. The violence that's in there has no almost no reason to be in there sometimes you're like well, what, are you t- what story are you, you telling you just start losing direction a little bit you know i think when you were talking about the one thing that jumped to me when you said you need those lows to appreciate the highs one of the most talked about segments not just in the last of us but forever now probably for video games period if you're talking about narrative and storytelling is you have that situation where ellie's under the kosh and joel has to come save her and he literally saves her with her saying he was gonna he was gonna and they leave your mind to wander so horribly on what that girl's been through. And then they make you do a section of that game, which is very low-key. There's no minimal action. And it's a lot of just you having to sit there and appreciate the fact that Ellie is processing stuff in her head, and you have to watch her do that. And then the next high point you get after that is the sequence with the giraffes, oh, right? Yeah. And this little, after going through all of that trauma and processing that and trying to work out where her head is at, you then get her immediately being reminded, no, no, you're just a kid, and here's a giraffe, and how beautiful is that? And that high, as beautiful as it is, doesn't carry any of its weight if you don't have that horrible sequence beforehand where Ellie's watched her caretaker nearly die and thinks he probably is dead and thinks she's on her own and thinks she's about to get yeah. killed or whatever else was going through that. And, yeah, I, I think you know it's, that's not something that video games have always had room for from a nuanced perspective. You know, when you talk about violence in video games, I think we still immediately jump to stuff like those trials in like the 90s, right? When people were worrying about Mortal Kombat and games like Carmageddon and stuff. And that's not the conversation we're having anymore. Mm. You know, I think violence is inevitable. It, like it's it's something that is there in real life and to tell a story that carries any resonance, it has to be there as a threat. It's, it's ultimate conflict and try it right a film yeah. or a script or something without conflict. Conflict is the main thing. And the conflict of two humans is fighting, and that's what we call violence. So it, it's, it has to, yeah, it really has to. Yeah, yeah. And I think as well, like we're, we're in a really great place now where we get stuff like this being handled by such great creative money. You know, like you know that Neil and the team at Naughty Dog can carry that conversation. You know that the reason God of War has that entire dynamic between Kratos and, and Atreus is because that's a complicated dynamic in a very complicated world. Somebody's got dad issues within that. Yeah. So you're making it, you know? Or you have a team that are capable of telling that story. And I think that's the big thing as well, is it's something that can be very visceral for a lot of people. Like, if you're exposed to violence through TV and video games and stuff, then it's a lot of it's not going to phase you. But for people that are outside the bubble looking in, it's really hard to appreciate why it has to be there. But um, it's something that will come, you know? Like, it's... Death Stranding is like another one where there's stuff that isn't there that could be, there's stuff that is there that maybe shouldn't be in things, but ultimately yeah. he does what he wants to tell the story he needs to, right? And you just kind of have to sit back and go, well, I'm sure, do, do what you're going to do. We'll judge you for it when it's done, right? And who knows? We, we could play The Last of Us 2, you know, what are we now, two weeks away? Or just under two weeks away? Um, we And they go, yeah, the violence in that was gross and disgusting and didn't need to be there. Like that, that could still be a thing that happens. I think it's something, but it it could, you know. Mm. Yeah. Fingers crossed, it's good. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. Um, 
next topic that we've got to talk about, speaking of aggressive violence and fury, oh, nice. everything comes with that. Who, who is it that's recently been playing Cuphead on the Switch and potentially doesn't have a Switch anymore? <laughs> so oh. that'd be me. I, I, um, so, uh, just background here. Running in an arcade, uh, when you first set up, you often put a lot of the stuff that you own into the arcade. So I, I was a big PC gamer. I think I mentioned this last week. And I had Cuphead on the PC. It was great. I got about 50-60% into that game. I put a lot, a lot of effort in. But as being part of the arcade, <laughs> that 50-60% save was wiped out at some point in the last year. And, uh, you know, it's inevitable. I didn't have time to play the game or continue playing the game. And then I noticed it was uh, on the Switch, or I realised it was on the Switch. Um, and it's been on there for a while, actually. But um, I started playing it on the Switch again because I thought, well, we're in lockdown, you know. I've got some time to kill before, you know, Last of Us 2 comes out and Days Gone has zoomed my head in. Uh, <laughs> nearly there, though. I'm nearly there. Uh, it is really a really really good port having played it on the pc a, a fairly decent pc and it's not a taxing game and uh, it's a it is an, apart from the loading times being ever so slightly longer i could i couldn't tell you tell the differences it was just it's just perfect it, it boggles my mind that this tiny little device can get this port across that so perfect and i and i haven't actually played it myself but i hear the doom port was really good as well and, and there's yeah. a few others and it just made me think well what are the great ports are there that have come across you know but because there have been a lot of games that have been put across a lot of different platforms over the years and i guess i guess parity is the biggest thing you want right you want a game to be as close as possible to the original vision um so yeah i just thought what's everyone thought some game ports across different platforms um i think it's been a huge thing for me as a gamer so um if i had that kind of maybe eight year window where I didn't play as much games as what I always have done, you know? So there's this big gap of games that I've not experienced. Come 2016, no, 2017, wasn't it? When the Switch came out, mm-hmm. got a Switch straight away. And initially, yeah, Zelda was great and then I had nothing. But then, like, it's been just now, people are complaining that they're, oh, look, a five-year-old game on the Switch, great. Oh, fun, oh, fantastic. I, I'm the guy who's actually lapping it up, you know? So yeah. my Switch library is just filled with with all these, you know, Witcher and games like Final Fantasy VII. I mean, the fact that you can pick up uh, that and Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy IX, XII, X, I mean, there's all those. Then, as you said, the ports, the ports from, um, I think it's id, is it? Or uh, Bethesda, but it's not Bethesda. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was Skyrim, Doom, the guys behind those, The Witcher as well, which is somebody different, but Witcher is amazing on there. And I would never have experienced those games without buying, you know, a couple of hundred quid console, well, a few consoles and getting them all together. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to things like um, the Steam titles, which um, I've never had a PC and not been much of a PC gamer. So all those PC titles, which did really well, have now got Switch ports. And interestingly, the Switch is selling more of them than what Steam sold over a much longer time scale. You know? So uh, there's just so much good stuff that I think without porting things from console to console, I would have missed out on. And even though I'm making myself sound like a bit of a casual gamer, I think that's the audience a lot of them want. The guys who have got Steam libraries as big as massive 
City Hall's records worth of games, which I know you two both have, right? There's games on there you play 10 seconds of, and uh, well, I haven't got time and you've never gone back. I know you, right? That's what you've got. But for the, if I'm casual compared to you guys, then cross-platform gaming and all that, not just cross-platform, but the, taking a game and putting it on everything is amazing. For, for me, anyway, you know, and, you know, I'm I'm talking to you through a Mac, and I've got <laughs> Nintendo to my left side. I'm definitely a user interface before <laughs> graphics power. and power. You know, I, I'm that kind of consumer, shall we say? Yeah. I, I don't know with you on that. You know, like you said, I've definitely got like a a chunky, like a hefty Steam library, but I've not done any kind of PC gaming really over the last few years. So all my gaming hardware now is. The PlayStation, the Xbox One, and the Switch. And pretty much all the rest of my hardware is now Apple. So like I'm sat here, iPhone, Mac, iPad, and stuff. So I'm I'm the, I'm the same way. I don't think it should matter where your games are. Like what machine they're on should be redundant. Get them on every machine. You know, get them on every single machine. You know, it's easy to jump to the Switch because so much good stuff is on there. Like you know, I've been watching a bunch of comparisons. So one of my favorite games of the last twelve months has been um, The Outer Worlds. So that's from Obsidian Entertainment, and it's, you know, Fallout New Vegas is one of my favorite games ever. So when they go, oh, it's like Fallout New Vegas, and it's pretty much, you know, a lot of the same team, and they're doing it in space. I was like, cool. So I played it on PlayStation 4. No, I didn't. I played it on an Xbox One standard initially. Then I upgraded that Xbox One to an Xbox One Series X. So it's the same game, but with a graphical overhaul, and it runs a lot smoother. And then it's on the Switch as well. And that's a game that I don't think it, like, you know, when it looks good, it looks amazing. Right, like we know, like good games like Skyrim, when they look good, they look great. Mm-hmm. If you want to play that on a Switch, play it on a Switch. Like, does it matter? Like, get it on the machine. That like, the Switch has become just an absolute bastion for every game under the sun. They shift so many that everyone wants to be on that machine. Mm-hmm. I played Worlds on an Xbox on Game Pass, so I didn't pay the fifty quid for it. I'm inevitably going to end up paying fifty quid for it, so I can take it with me on the go on my Switch. And I will every now and then go, oh, it doesn't look as good on my Switch. But who cares? Like if this... You're playing it in your hands like this. I think so much of it has to do with just how dynamic a lot of hardware is becoming as well. Yeah. Well, you know, if you jump back to last generation, you had the Nintendo Wii and Wii U, which based on controls, power, so many things, Nintendo were pretty much out of the question when it came to porting. Mm-hmm. The PlayStation 3, that sell architecture they had for the PS3 was such a nightmare to develop for that just getting something on a PlayStation was a lot of work and took a long time to do. And then Xbox, which was basically a PC, right? I'm relatively sure if we knew what we were doing and we pulled these machines apart, we'd be looking at pretty much more or less the same hardware, right? Like, I think the PlayStation, the Xbox, we know that they pretty much are souped at PCs. And I think those two, yeah. Yeah, and then there's a Switch essentially more or less an NVIDIA Shield, right, in terms of the hardware on it. Yeah. You can put a game and say, cool, have it on a high-end PC and whack all the graphics up. Amazing. Or put it on a Switch and turn all those graphics down. You know, like you mentioned Final Fantasy VII. I have that on my PS4. I've got the remake on my PS4. I've got it on Switch. I've also got Final Fantasy VII and I've got all the GTA games up to, not including GTA Four on my iPad Pro. Like, that's where I play those games now because my iPad Pro goes everywhere with me. Awesome. Great. Like, wherever I can play these machines, I'll probably be stupid and buy them again. So in terms of ports, like, there's there's so many good ones. But my policy on that is always, like, just get them on everything. 
Yeah. Right? I think this generation and these two new consoles, PS5 and Xbox One uh, Series X, are really going to be attached to another. The platforms are almost redundant now. Like, the game should be the only thing that matters. Like, that should be priority number one. So just yeah. get it. Get it. You know, I love playing on my... Like, if I could play Cuphead with an Xbox One controller on my iPad Pro with that iPad Pro display... You would, wouldn't you? Yeah. I, w- I would buy it again. And that would be the third time I bought that game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, I would do it, even hesitate. You know, the first the first game I remember playing where I just thought, I wish this was uh, on a... I could play it on a console was... Uh, what, it's either Alan Wake or Gears of War, but I think they were very similar because they were both PC slash Xbox only. Uh, yeah. Wait, is that right of Alan Wake? I think it was. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I had a PC, but I didn't want to play it on my PC because my PC was in my office. I wanted to play it on a TV. You know, I like playing it on my living room with a TV. That's that's what it comes down to with a lot of these ports, right? I mean, I, the Switch is great, but if I'm on a train, I'll play it great, but I'd rather play it on the TV. So Gears of War, I played it on the PC, and I was like, oh... It's not the same. I, I like I, it's, it. Was designed for a controller. I'm. I like using a mouse keyboard combo, but yeah. yeah I, I, if that ever gets ported to a non Xbox slash Microsoft um, platform, that that would be the ideal one for me. That's the one that really made me think about porting games because you can do you can do it. That that comes down to purely ex- exclusivity, right? That's all about you know. Keeping it on, uh, keeping it on our platform, and I, I, I'm a Sony boy. I'd love all the Sony exclusives, but those games, I mean, they could like the God of Wars and the Spider-Man. They could be on other platforms, couldn't they? They could. Like the next few years are going to be interesting. Where don't get me wrong, I don't think Fog Gaming or whatever it is that Sega are doing is going to be the groundbreaking technology there. But things like the idea of decent video game streaming could be really cool. Mm. So I, I remember specifically being in my day job on my lunch table with my DualShock 4 and then I was streaming Death Stranding to my iPad and playing it that way. And that's the first one where I'm like, cool, we're getting there. But every now and then you go to jump and the jump's just a little bit too late and you're down a hole and it's all gone to part. You're like, ah, that's really frustrating. It, it works games. Where it's, you know, perfect? Probably not. But I do feel like cloud gaming could be the one where you know, the idea of any machine that, if I buy a game once, mm-hmm. my machine's you know, I know that's something CD Projekt have said that quite openly, right? They said it with the Xbox One yeah. Series X, where if you buy an Xbox One version of Cyberpunk or Xbox One version of it, when this launches, you will get that version of the game souped up and advanced and looking prettier and better on the Series X for free. Is their whole policy, and it's probably rooted to their experience with um, like Gog.com and stuff as well, where their policy is you should pay for a game once, and that should be it. Yeah. What had play on you you know it's kind of opposite to nintendo because i've played their games once and i've paid for them six times <laughs> yeah. on mini consoles on the wii shop on my switch the original back in the day which yeah. <laughs> because yeah. well, i get i'm happy to pay again for a game like pay twice for a game to play it on the switch i like the switch as a piece of hardware that much i drew the line on tropical freeze where I think when Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze came out, it was forty nine ninety nine on the Wii U. It's still fifty four ninety nine on the Switch. I'm like, you're having a laugh. You're taking the mic now. Like, there really are, yeah. You know, you can play me for a fall to an extent, but there's a point where you're slapping me in the face whilst you do it. <laughs> to what I did three years ago to play the game. So there's a way to do it for sure, but no, I just just wherever I can play the game, right? Like, ultimately, the games are the important thing, and 
exclusivity deals and stuff will always make things a little bit frustrating. But wherever the hardware is going to, you know, wherever the game's going to run the best, that always helps. But ultimately, get your hands on the game. That's all that should matter, really. Mm. Um, oh, that was, an, that was a nice sombering note for the games, for the art, you know? <laughs> um, speaking, speaking of art, looping me back around to my um, rather wanky opinions on Naughty Dog and, and everything they awesome. do. We'll run this. We'll run this into actually what we're playing as well at the same time, right? So I'm going to put a talking point out there. We'll include it in what I'm playing because at the minute I'm replaying Uncharted Four. God, that game's good. I always forget how good that game is. Bottom one because it was the last one, and the one that was in trouble. It's the one that like Amy Hennig kind of left the studio for. So it was all that tumultuous stuff, but it's still just so so good. And I, good. I through that. I've played it once. I've not played it again this year. And I went to the bonus settings and they've got kind of graphical overlays that you can get to kind of change the game afterwards. So you can play it in like black and white mode or high saturated or 8-bit mode and things like that. And from what I can figure, they are just literally just screen overlays. So when they go, oh, you can play in 8-bit mode, it just runs a pixelation filter over it and everything's a bit more pixely. It's not pretty, but like it does it. But specifically, I looked at, I'll try and grab the screenshots I've got and I'll put them up on my Twitter as well. But they've got a cell shaded mode, which makes it look like a Borderlands game or like a cartoon, which was really cool. Okay. And then black and white, which was awesome. So as I'm playing it, I'm like, oh, I'd really like this game as a kind of like this kind of game as like a cartoon, like this big high production, but or like an old kind of like Indiana Jones, but almost before Indiana Jones, like you know the kind of old pulpy trend stuff. Did you ever watch the Tintin movie that Peter Jackson was involved with, the Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and stuff? Mm-hmm. I so I loved that game. I thought I loved that game, that film. I loved that film. I might develop Stockholm syndrome with it because I was working in the cinema at the time, and in that cinema you had to be in the screen to make sure there were no problems. But I had to sit and watch that film maybe 30, 40 times. Yeah. Oh, essentially, the point I got was playing around with all these different styles. I thought how cool it would be to have an old sort of fifties throwback kind of treasure hunting game, so a bit like a Tintin video game. Okay. Imagine super cat black and white and stuff. And how cool that could be. And there could be less shooting people on mass, which would be quite fun as well. <laughs> so things like that. And I was wondering if there's any sort of ideas or concepts or franchises that haven't had a good video game port, because a lot of them have had video game ports, not many of them have very good ones, that you would like to see. Something like that. I would like an uncharted style, like big spectacle, but in like a black and white cartoon. Like a Tintin video game, that kind. You could argue that Cuphead, uh, while it's probably missing the scale of Uncharted, certainly is the yeah. style, you know? Um, yeah. I, I mean, that's a pretty... Yeah. But um, what you're thinking more like a, the style of gameplay of Uncharted as well? Go wild with it. Let your dreams run free. If you could have anything in a video game that you think would make a cool video game, what would you want that to be? What do you think it would look like as well? See, so the Tintin's a pretty good choice, actually. Tintin's a really good choice. Um, pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, oh, I have to think about this. Because I mean, the obvious one that I think in twenty twenty jumps out to everybody is everybody would love, and we know it's on the way, to have a big three triple A quality Avengers game. Uh... Right. A version of that is on its way. We don't know what Square Enix are going to do. I still have faith in that game. I'm still. Uh... I know Sean. Who used to be at Naughty Dog is over there working with the narrative team and stuff. I think there's hope for that game. 
See, okay, here's the issue. A game like that needs needs a strong narrative backbone. So the question is, when you're talking about this style of gameplay, are you looking at what's what what we're we looking for the whole package? Just are we looking for the 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 narrative backbone of a of a naughty dog adventure? Are we also right? Like I know to the one weirdly actually since we brought up Avengers, the more footage is leaked from that what would have been a kind of Avengers game. I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter. There's been like gameplay footage that is very much like early development stuff, but it's like a first person Avengers game, kind of like a Left 4 Dead meets the Avengers. You've got Hulk, Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man, I think. And it's kind of cool, but it's like really ropey and really early on. And yeah, I I don't know. I, I just like the idea of, because I feel like there's so much other properties out there, right? And everyone's trying to do a good thing. Like Predator Hunting Grounds is a really good example at the minute where they've taken Predator and gone, what makes Predator cool? And how do we turn that into a, a video game, oh. right? The core feeling of that game, of those movies of a Predator going and hunting down these people, you kind of get that when you play Predator Hunting Grounds. It's not as polished and as clean as I'd like it to be, but it is pretty cool. They do hit, take most of the boxes, I think. But... If but you're if you're talking about putting it in a in a more pulpy style and you know cell shading it, surely that those I think those already exist. I don't know if you like you look at what. Yeah, don't 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 hang on to that more. I'm I'm trying to think like so for me I suddenly had this thing playing that game. I was like, oh, this would be a cool Tintin game, and I love Tintin. I think Tintin's really fantasy. awesome. Yeah, mm. and I was wondering just like properties you you enjoy that you'd like to see in that a video game already. format that not aren't yeah. necessarily in one already. Yeah. Oh, been in one and weren't done very well. <laughs> that's that's the problem. Everyone I'm thinking of, all the IPs, I'm going, yeah, that would be. Oh, they've done it, haven't they? They've done. Yeah, that's the problem I'm having. Yeah. Mario's and your Street Fighters and your know, DMA is kind of. It's. What are the ones that you're thinking of though? I, I even actually thought, oh, Legos are cool. Oh my god, they're there. There's <laughs> games everywhere, isn't it? You do best Lego game. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I got on. I got on. Okay. Go on. Very specific, okay. I, I'm a, I'm a bit of a trekkie. I have no shame in that, right? Do you know the whole the whole concept behind the holodeck on Star Trek? Make that into a game, right? So it's almost going to be a bit like you've got the futuristic setting of like like in Assassin's Creed, right? You've got the futuristic setting, but they're actually playing an old world game in the setting. So like you've got the modern Star Trek setup, but you're in the holodeck playing like the scene the the whole. Uh, Dick Tracy esque kind of adventure that Picard and uh, Data go on, yeah, something like that. That could well, be, be interesting, like, a, like almost like a, a point and click adventure. I don't know. No, but you've got, but, but you got yeah. the control, you've got the ability to use the holodeck in the background. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Uh, okay. There you go. But there's plenty of Star Trek games out there, so again, it's not entirely original. One one thing when I think of IPs and oh, there should be a game of it, it always ends up with somebody going, oh, there is one, and and the fact that you'd never heard of it is a very very good reveal of yeah. why you didn't know about that game because it was awful. Because <laughs> I feel like when video games are up and coming, there was just a, a bunch of boardroom men in suits going, that could be a game, and that could be a game. And they're just taking the cheapest quote from a, a group of people. We'll make that game for you. Because they, they really want to make that game because it had a name. It had Sonic or I had a whatever name with it. And what you end up with is subpar quality products because the people who know they can make good games will charge a realistic amount for making that game. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and only you get these amazing marriages like GoldenEye. I'm thinking you've got James Bond and a great, you know, game-making people. And, oh, it's a marriage made in heaven. But for everyone, GoldenEye, that, well, I could even just stay within the Bond realm. There's a lot of bad James Bond. There's films. a lot of bad James Bond games. Definitely. Yeah, like imagine, a, especially now that we're in a sort of post-Splinter Cell, post-Batman Arkham world, what does like a really cool James Bond game look like now? Oh. I don't know the, the, you know how they they did they made the the Daniel Craig films a more modern version of Bond, didn't they? So they could do the same format for make it more about the the action, the fighting action, the physical and almost yeah. like a, a Jason Bourne game. There you go. That's a forget Ooh, Bond, yeah. a Jason Bourne series game. That would be good. You know, for everyone concerned, is Goldeneye on Switch. <laughs> and it would make more money as well, wouldn't it? Another one as well, but it's always like Goldeneye on everything. On my... <laughs> oh. What are Rare doing these days? What's the latest thing that Rare's worked on? What's the last thing they worked on? Uh, well, they're now Microsoft exclusive, right? So they're owned by Microsoft Studios. Have... Correct, yes. Which is a cool. That's another one that I'm always interested in. And Sea of Thieves doesn't quite scratch that. Sea of Thieves. But a good kind of Pirates of the Caribbean type game would be really cool. Like a big... Because I don't think we have... Assassin's Creed Black Flag is one, maybe. But like a good kind of big open-world RPG game that's delving into sort of pirate lore and sailing ships and digging through islands. and So a, sing- a single-player Sea of Thieves, basically, with a good campaign yeah. story. It's Sea of Thieves that does all the things that Sea of Thieves doesn't always do. <laughs> Skyrim on water. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Skyrim on water. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, yeah. No, like it's it's an interesting one because I feel like like the IP thing is really interesting as well. Whereas I think it's easy to just sell an IP and hope that shifts units, as opposed to come up with an original idea. I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And it's now more appealing for a studio to say, "We'll just do it ourselves." Like if we take an IP, there's going to be so many chefs in that kitchen, it's going to fall apart. And we've seen it happen. We've seen it happen. Yeah. But then you know, for every one of those, you've got like Insomniac. Well, like, as soon as Insomniac, as soon as we were told, oh yeah, the guys that made like all these great games, like the Ratchet and Clank games and stuff like that, they're going to do a Spider-Man game. And my immediate response wasn't, oh no, another bad Spider-Man game. My immediate response was, that's an incredible studio and a great IP. This is going to be fantastic. And it was. It is it was. an incredible game. If you haven't played Spider-Man, go and play it on the PS4 yeah. now. Now, now, not my- after you finish this, then play it. Yeah, like a huge Spider-Man dork. Like me, Chris, me, you've had this stuff when I. I will argue out of every superhero film ever, there is no more perfect superhero movie than Spider-Man 2. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. Uh, except, except Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse is a better movie. I enjoy it more, but I don't think it's a better superhero. I don't know about the archetype. Going, off on a tangent, off on a tangent. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> that happens so rarely, right? Like, well, us going off on a tangent, I don't know if it does. <laughs> so, anyway. But no, like, like, Spider-Man or like a Batman Arkham like the Arkham games have been again, I think like that Spider-Man and those Arkham games are maybe the best iterations you can find of those characters as like a whole experience mm. but it doesn't seem to happen very often they'll come every every few years there'll be another one we just got yeah, uh, Lord of the Rings I was going to say has never really had a good but the Middle Earth games are alright pretty good uh, uh, Days Gone from a little bit, but I know there are some uh, members of the events committee of the Arcade Vaults events committee who are big fans of Lord of the Rings. You know who you are. Uh, <laughs> eh, 
I'm not. I'm not. I, can't, I, I think I've got a bias against Lord of the Rings, if I'm honest. I, I kind of, I'm like, it's all right, you know. I, I haven't rewatched any of the films since they originally came out. Uh, wow. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. There was one Sunday where I just had a big party and I was made to watch the two extended versions of the first film before going to the cinema to watch the third film, which is probably why I haven't rewatched any of the films since. Is that, is that a general dislike to fantasy? You know, because no, no, absolutely not, absolutely not. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I get into, I, I'm into fantasy films and fantasy, you know, literature and stuff, but. Lord of the Rings just drags it out a little bit. I, I, so the games again. That's I think that's why the games don't appeal to me. I'm just I don't I think it's a bias against the uh, the uh, original stories. Anyway. So yes. Yeah. Fun chatter, but yeah, Uncharted Four. If you haven't played Uncharted Four with any of those fillers, go and check them out because some of them look awful, some of them look dreadful. But like the black and white one, especially if you remember Uncharted Four, you've got the the kind of heist of the cross of Dismas that you have. I think it's Dismas with like Sully and with Rafe and it's kind of like a ballroom auction type thing they're all in tuxedos they're all drinking champagne it's all black and white it was very Casablanca it was cool I enjoyed it but yeah like a game like that like an L.A. Noir period type thing so uh, Uh, anything else anyone's playing well recently yeah um, well, it's yeah. I suppose I mean Animal Crossing is either you play it and you'll understand, and you just nod and go, "Oh, I know, I know," or you just go, "Oh, yeah, that that that's in all the memes right now." Yeah. So Animal Crossing, yes, no. I'm all in on. I'm I must. I can't be far off two hundred hours now. Okay, and Chris. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm on the old latter group. Uh, yeah, almost exactly. every single person, a friend of mine who has a Switch, I think without fail, I think would put put it on. A, Hundred percent bracket. Every single one of them has that game and is yeah. playing it, apart from me. Uh, but I, I can see why it appeals to people. It just doesn't appeal to me. Uh, yeah, so it's and the rings. I think I think it's it's, it's a love hate even when you're in it as well. Even yeah. if you put loads of hours in it, they still hate the turnips, or, or they 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 still got you know, or you've done you've done one path of the game and you've not really done anything with flowers or something. You know, you've, you've ignored some part of the game. So there, there's that. Uh, then there's um, Age of Empires uh, 2. Um, I've been going back to that, uh, played it back when it was a game that everybody knew about. Um, 1999, I think. Um, and I got stuck on a certain Genghis Khan scenario level. But now I'm a fully grown adult. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be good at that game. I'm not a 13 year old anymore. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna solve that. Mission. I've got up to that scenario, and I'm still it. <laughs> and that's that's 20 21 years after I got stuck on it last time, and I'm stuck on it again. Um, about, so if anyone out there knows how to finish scenario three on Genghis Khan, give me a shout. <laughs> um, and uh, one little gem I've been playing is Into the Breach on the Switch. Ooh. No? I know that. Well, I know of that. What do I know of that? It's obviously a Steam game from about, I don't know, five, six years ago, but now it's on the Switch, or has been on the Switch for a couple of years. And it's just, a, oh, it's like a tenor, you know? And it, it's... Um, Oh, it, it, you just have to see a screenshot of it to really understand what I'm on about. Like a chessboard, okay. good pieces, moving, very board gamey, and you decide on your three movements, and you'll know what the enemies are going to do for their three movements. 
Okay. And it's just very turn-based. Think very simple XCOM or very 8-bit graphics Mario and um, Rabbids. That okay. kind of game, if you like, but simplified down. And as a board game fan, that, that, that would appeal to me. So, yeah, um, that's what I've been spending a bit of time on. Because okay. that, that's the same team that did F- FTL, was it? I remember FTL being a massive that's iOS what... I love FTL. FTL is one of my favourite games. They loved it, and then I remember I remember seeing that and going, sure. "Cool, I'll jump into it." And then I never saw it again. And then Into the Breach cropped up, and it's another one where, like, Sorry, I man. think it's on. It seems like a perfect iPad game. Mm. And I think, mm. "Oh, I'll sit down and I'll play that eventually," much like I did with FTL. And I've just not gotten round to it. But I, I'm still hearing people being like, "It's awesome. It's so good. It's totally engrossing." Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, that's why I know the name because it's made by those guys, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll take that recommendation, mate. That's a. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only a, a ten pound, I think, something like that. Okay. So, so I'll get through Cuphead first, though. So my switch not might survive, might not survive till the. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? What's really funny about that Cuphead thing as well is I've got a friend who I used to work with when I was in retail, like video game retail before, and she's been telling me the exact same thing of like, oh well, I've got it on on switch but i don't know if i should or shouldn't and i was like just do it just do it didn't hear from us two weeks and she's like yeah my switch is broken now um it's <laughs> so i don't know she won't tell me what happened i assume it's just from like tension playing but she has that stick drift that she's never had before and it sounds like it's probably because of cuphead <laughs> that's believable that's believable all right so our recommendations are cuphead uh uncharted 4 and I'll say Into the Breach for me. Into the Breach, there you mm. go. So our three recommendations of the week. All right. Okay, so uh, um, those are our recommendations of the week. Um, and we've got Q&A time. So remember, you can always get hold of us on social media and everything in the comments section as well. We're super active. So if you have any questions you want to ask us or or a special guest or anything like that, just uh, let us know. And um, we've got just the one question for... This week, one that I'm very interested in straight away because I had a slightly traumatic process when this came out. Uh, but Chris, have you got the question for us there? Yeah. Um, hold on. Give me one second. I'll give you the exact wording of the question. So that, yeah, because it uh, was from uh, from Dave, wasn't it? It was from Dave. A yes. good friend. Uh, yeah. A very good friend of the Arcade Box, who also, by the way, thought that we, you know, we talked about the video game worlds last week. He did yeah. suggest that we should do a Leisure Sweet uh, Sweet Larry World. I'm not sure whether that would be. Um, That's su- just the Playboy Mansion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think Hugh Hefner has already done that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and actually, I just realised he has two questions, so I'll, I'll get to both of them. Um, I'm not sure whether we'll be able to ask the first or answer the first one. It's, it's about the price of the Xbox One. Interesting. So he's asking whether he th- we think the price of the Xbox One is going to drop significantly before the launch. I think um, the launch of the Xbox Series X. I think all okay. of the I think all of the next gen consoles tend to drop in price before the next one, so that's an easy one. We can uh, we can deal with that one straight away. Um, but uh, best bet to do is keep an eye on those. So the uh, the Iron Man VR demo though, that's the question that you particularly want to ask. Um, do you think they nailed the control mechanism or not? Well, what are our thoughts on it generally? Well, be honest with you, Dave. Uh, the biggest problem we have is that we haven't actually played the Iron Man VR demo. Yeah. We have seen it in action. Um, I, 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 ooh, 
I've mixed feelings on uh, that game. I think Tom probably would be able to tackle this one better. Yeah. I've ever seen my feelings on it. Tom? Yeah, so I I remember this game being announced at that PlayStation State of Play. I remember there being a moment, because if I remember rightly, the advert just starts on a private jet, and you hear a guy talking, and you're like, oh, he's talking to what sounds like some kind of a, oh my God, is that supposed to be Tony Stark? Oh my God, are we getting an Iron Man game? Buy, buy me a couple of beers sometimes and get me to drunkenly explain to you what my Iron Man game would look like, and I will break that down for you. I know exactly what a great Iron Man game would look like. Uh, sadly, VR's not where my head goes to immediately. <laughs> um, I mean, like, it makes sense for VR, right? Like, you, you have that thing on your face, you can fly, yeah. you have the heads-up display, you have your kind of repulsor beams and stuff. Like, it all makes sense. But, but it's, I think that's always going to be the struggle for VR. And it's why I think you've got to be quite careful with VR IPs. Is my first thing is, oh, cool. An Iron Man VR game would be awesome. But it just makes me want an Iron Man game more, you know? Like, it was a similar thing with the Star Wars experience, where they had a few of those. And for that, it's not so bad, because you've got plenty of other places you can go to play a Star Wars game. So I'm not particularly salty about that Star Wars game existing. But with an Iron Man game, I'm like, ah, I, I know, I can see so clearly what an Iron Man game would look like. And that's the one that I want. And at this point, for me, anything other than that is just going to be upsetting. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, uh, my, I think, I think uh, VR should VR VR. The problem I find with VR is I think a lot of the best games on VR are not games where you're in control of a person doing the thing that the person's doing. So you know, uh, Beat Saber, um, Super Hot, those kind of games. They're not realistic games, and I, being in an Iron Man suit and flying around sounds really cool. I say this like the Batman VR demo is really cool, but mm. at the same time, is the Iron Man VR demo the Batman VR demo? I don't know. I we I I tell you what, I'll try and because the the all the VR kit is in the arcade. Uh, we'll get back into the arcade sometime in the next couple of weeks. I'll try and grab some of the kit and see if I can get hold of the demo to play it. We'll give you a proper review on one of our podcasts in the next few weeks. That I think is yeah. probably the best thing we can do with that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, some housekeeping. Um, so, Arcade Vaults, uh, where we're at. Um, so, until the government officially announces when we're reopening, uh, we're going to start going in the next couple of weeks, getting the place up to scratch, making sure that it's going to be safe for everyone to come in. So, just keep an eye on our social media, keep sending us messages. We are still running online an online Patreon. We are still running... Um, uh, other things online, I think there's a voucher screen kind of scheme running. So if you go and buy some stuff from us from voucher, they'll be valid when we reopen. Just keep supporting us, doing whatever you can. All right, we're still going. Uh, in the meantime, we are still running online events. So uh, we have on Monday, which is um, tomorrow from our recording day. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, I think uh, we are running a stream Overcooked Two. Uh, it it has taken us a bit longer than we thought because. We decided that we were going to three-star everything, um, but it's been fun. Uh, I think we are going to beat it on the next round. Watch us. It'll be fun. Uh, Tom <laughs> and I are going to do a stream on Wednesday. We haven't actually decided what we're playing yet. So if you've got any recommendations for us before we decide, hit us up in uh, our usual 
Yeah, yeah any recommendations? Yeah. We're we good for PlayStation, for Switch, for yeah. Flexible. We'll play stuff. We'll play stuff, yeah. Hey, could we watch the Tackling Cuphead? Well, that could be interesting. Uh, and then uh, oh, on uh, on Saturday, we are running our second and possibly last quiz of the lockdown. Uh, the first quiz was a huge success. Um, we uh, will run similar formats, so it'll be uh, me talking to the camera, uh, streaming that on our usual platforms. You can join in with your friends via Zoom, answer some questions. It will be lots of fun. There is no prize other than glory, which of course is the best prize, uh, and uh, and a name drop, of course, on our next <laughs> on our next podcast. Um, yeah, and uh, just subscribe to us on YouTube, on Twitch. Uh, go to Patreon. Go to all the usual things. We'll put. All of these links in our comments and uh, keep on watching. Um, so I'm going to just open up this for one more set of questions. Uh, for uh, start again. <laughs> uh, so, so David, uh, what's going on with rules of play? Have you got some stuff that you want to talk about? Have you got anything that you'd like to tell us? Yeah, um, so obviously uh, it's been a challenging time. Uh, both arcades are closed, your arcade and our arcade are closed. Uh, so we are closed in a physical sense, but obviously you can go to you know Rules of Play um, uh, 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 and you can still buy everything we've got there. So basically, um, uh, we've kept the store going, you know, in an online sense. We're doing uh, local deliveries as well. So if you're if you're in the Cardiff area, there's a very strong chance that you'll get that game that evening as well, because uh, Ian's been going around doing personal drop-offs. Um, so we're still going. Just it's just an online sense and. Um, you touched on this last week, and it's about keeping the high street alive, you know, and it's going to be making sure that when the arcade vaults is open, that you are back in there, you know, and that when the shop opens, that you're going to be supporting shops. Your, your, your favourite cafe place, you know, just think of the staff that are working in those places. We're all going to tentatively reopen in the next I don't know, two, three weeks, uh, whenever the government allows us to. And at that point, we uh, and yourselves, we're really hoping that the high street is something like the high street we left back in March, you know, and it's it's a very scary time for all businesses, you know, especially, you know, um, little small kind of close-knit groups that rely on communities. Uh, and again, in terms of events as well, you know, it, it's going to be a very hard process opening up an event to a lot of people. Um, and in short, I just remember you guys and us uh, uh, being part of that event in the Angel Hotel that we do every year. Again, that was cancelled this year or postponed per se. It will be eventually at some point, whether it is next year. And I just remember seeing that kind of group of people together. Uh, we, you know, we miss that. So yeah, we are still operating as rules of play. We're still selling games. It's just that it is online for the moment. Um, but yeah, uh, there is one little thing I want to go forward with you guys, and it's uh, well, it, I'm not saying this by linked by rules of play. It's more David, to be honest. Right? Is I've got Street Fighter, the miniature game. Uh -huh. <laughs> coming at some point this year. Now, it, it was a Kickstarter game about two years ago. Uh, and I'm asking you now, I haven't even warned these guys about this, right? So I'm asking you now, okay, that we do an event at your place, mm -hmm. okay? 
Street Fighter on the digital format, okay, mm -hmm. and Street Fighter on the tabletop format mm -hmm. go in at the same time. Done. Done. That sounds easy. Yeah. What you just said there is you've just discussed a version of a Street Fighter competition that I might actually be able to win at. So that's exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm awful at Street Fighter, but a non-digital Street Fighter, I might be all right at that. <laughs> it, you know, it's got really big miniatures and it's, you know, obviously turn-based and it's, it plays like, um, you know, you're choosing what to do, whether it's to hit someone or to throw a projectile or grab them. And the other person's got cards trying to guess what the other person is doing. So, uh, interesting. Yeah, so as you can tell, I'm really excited for it. I've waited two years for it. I've even got my own YouTube channel where I'm, I'm going to be painting the models and stuff and whatever. So, I'm really excited for it. We can drop the link. Where do people that in find the, that YouTube channel? Cool, yeah, yeah, there we are. Yeah, so on the YouTube channel, there's only about uh, five, six videos. What I've done so far is I, I practiced painting uh, amiibo figures because they're more or less the same size, you know, the Ken and Rio ones. Because mm -hmm. what I want to do is to have the you know street fighter where you've got your, your main colors but then you've got the mirror colors yeah yeah so i'm basically back backing myself to paint the other versions that i've got in the other colors if i want ken from street fighter 2 and chris you want ken from street fighter 2 you like to choose what <laughs> color ken you want okay yeah, all right all right that's good. Okay. That's good. I like that. That's an exclusive there's going to be a street fighter event at some point yeah. including Board games and video games. Yeah, yeah. We, I think we have, we probably have three different versions of the game in the shop, um, or yeah, maybe four. So uh, yeah, could be a good Street Fighter tournament. Yeah. I, I may have ordered three base copies of this Kickstarter game. <laughs> oh right. Okay. <laughs> really big fan then. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. okay. All right. Cool. Excellent. And that's for me. All right. Awesome. Well, that sounds really exciting, actually. Yeah. It's just the idea of being back to normal, right? Like you said, people back on the high street and being able to do things, do things safely, obviously, but being able to get together again in somewhere other than Skype, which is all we've really had is just screens of each other. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you David, so much for coming along. Um, it's been really great chatting with you, saying that like, yes. we're always talking, but we've, we've never done it on a podcast before. But then again, me and Chris hadn't done it until last week anyway. So <laughs> it's nah. been really great and really enjoyable. So thank you so much for coming nah. Thank you very much, guys, for letting me come on. Honestly, it's been great. It's, been, it's just been like chatting with friends, really. Yeah. That's how it should well, be. That's how it should be. It always should be. Arcade Box 101, that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, but, you guys, we'll be back next week uh, with the next episode of the podcast. And, uh, like Chris said, there's a whole lot of stuff happening um, all week as well. So make sure to check that out. Uh, but for now, thank you so much for listening and watching. See ya.